0: This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050.
1: Welcome aboard Toronto Today for a Monday. Jim Taddy with you until 1. Then Scotty MacArthur takes over. Rest of the week, Andy McNamara in this particular chair. We've got some stuff to talk about. Wacky weekend in the CFL again. Blue Jays, Scotty Mitchell will be by at uh, 11.20 to talk about the Jays. Right off the top, we'll have Perry Lefko from CFLPA.com to talk football and some golf uh, later on. Freddie Anderson, ninth on the NHL Network's top ten goalie list. Where would he be on your list? Interesting. Ninth. Darnell Nurse in the second hour from the Edmonton Oilers. Mark Zucchino, golf talk Canada, twelve twenty and uh, yes guy no guy to finish off i don't really like the stacking of yes guy no guy it's the last thing i'm going to do in this two-hour broadcast but you know i'm just the host i've got no say in what happens here in fact um (laughs) Let's just leave Joe out of this. Joe, how are you this morning?
2: I'm pretty good. Also, I left Yes Guy, No Guy till the end because you saved the best for last. So we're going to pull the listeners in to stay with us for an entire two hours. (laughs) Going
1: with that, are we? And wait for
2: Yes Guy, No Guy. (laughs) Okay, well, you
1: you know, you're producing, so I'll just defer. Not the way I would have done it, but nonetheless, I'll defer. Good call on your part. But it's Monday, and I mean, you've got the rest of the week. Uh, I'm only here for two hours, and... Well, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, Brooke Henderson, that was fabulous. Stunning. You know, the last time I was here, we were talking about, because uh, we were in the Rogers Cup and the Canadians were being eliminated, and we were going over the fact that it's been quite some time for a Canadian to win in tennis and in golf on Canadian soil. And so now the facts are out. Brooke Henderson snapped that skid, and really only the fourth Canadian professional golfer to win on Canadian soil. Mike Weir, the last one in 99, the Air Canada Tournament, and that was his first ever PGA Tour win. Uh, then you go back to uh, Pat Fletcher in 54 for the what was the Canadian Open is now the RBC Canadian Open. Uh, then you go back for the LPGA Tour to Montreal in 1973, Jocelyn Barassa, or... Yasalam Borasa, uh, 1 in 73. So now it's over. And the great thing about this story is she's 20. Uh, she's already accomplished quite a bit in the LPGA Tour. She's from Ontario, the Kingston area, as we're all aware. And you look at this story, uh, you watch her golf, and it's inspirational. Inspirational coast to coast. Uh, there was a, a, a clip on the Sports Center update. Uh, with Bob Week speculating about where this goes, and, and that 's what we do in today 's world as soon as something happens, well, where does it go? Obviously, we enjoy the moment and but there is going to be a ripple effect I mean this is just a, a, a breaking story, if you will, fabulous and just really you know you don 't get the positive the ninety or the hundred percent positive anymore but but this is one hundred and ten percent, if you will, positive spent yesterday in Buffalo watching the Paw Sox, the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Buffalo Bisons. If you're looking for a dollar value, and and sorry to tell you this now because their last regular season home game is tonight, but uh, 15 minutes to cross the bridge and I know that's not a regular thing, 10 minutes to park the car, which was literally right across the street from the Coca-Cola Field entrance, uh, 16 bucks for top flight tickets, which would have been four rows back on the first baseline from the Bisons dugout. And it's been a while since I've sat in any seat like that, uh, and that's so that's sixteen bucks, ten to park, twenty six gas, whatever, um, and uh, of course the obligatory greasy piece of pizza, and the nine buck can of beer. So I mean, come on, that, talk about dollar value. I know, I know it's thirty three cents in the dollar, but my goodness, that was such an easy day uh, to enjoy. And uh, what did I see? Uh, well, I saw. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. go 0 for 4 as a DH, and I learned a new appreciation. You know, we do. I always say this: the box score analysis, just the numbers. You don't have to watch the game. You look at the box score, and it just gives you a sort of a hint. Uh, probably a not a good hint, but you look at the numbers and go, "Wow, well, he was 0 for 4. He must have sucked." Well, he was DH, and the problem with what he was doing was he, they didn't give him anything. They gave him nothing. So when you look at his numbers over the the next year or so as you're projecting him onto the blue Jay roster understand that, that those numbers come out of nothing they're not serving anything up for him not that they would but you know I watched a guy on the paw sox team a third baseman by the name of Michael Chavez who's twenty three years old and is hitting the cover off the ball just promoted from double a and he's hitting over five hundred and he's getting pitches to hit uh, so Vladdy Jr. is getting nothing, so that I mean that'll make you appreciate when he eventually gets here. uh, You know where we're going to go with this story because he's a bona fide stud player in the making, no question about that. By the way, there were eleven thousand plus on hand at that game yesterday. Wickedly humid, but nonetheless an enjoyable day. And uh, you know, as I say, the last home game for their them is tonight. It's a, a really good weekend trip, I have to say. A, a, an easy weekend trip to do and an enjoyable baseball. That was the fastest nine hours I've seen in quite some time. It flew by. Unfortunately, the Bisons got smoked, 8-3. to Going to talk football with Perry Lefko shortly. Uh, the Argos, with that loss in Montreal, you go into a game, you're thinking McLeod Bethel-Thompson. You come out of the game going, who's Pipkin? Stunning performance. You never know what's going to happen in the CFL. That's sort of the nature of the beast. Remember that, uh, that poll, top goalies, Freddie Anderson ninth in the NHL Network's top 10 goalie list. So we're going to ask you, where would you rank Steady Freddie among the goaltenders in the NHL? So what's your list going to be like? I notice that on this NHL Network list, Carey Price is not on the list. How does that even happen? I don't quite understand the thought process there, but that's the nature of lists, and lists are not published with criteria. So if you go to TSN 1050 Radio or my uh, Twitter account, at Jim Taddy, uh, here's the question. Freddie Anderson, ninth in the NHL Network's top ten goalie list. Where would you rank Steady Freddie among the goaltenders in the NHL? Uh, Your options are top three, top five, right where he is at number nine, lower than ten. And I know people are sour because he looked like he got tired last year as it went on uh, and this is a big year for him that way to prove that he wasn't tired but um, I'm gonna say six I I would put him number six but Carey Price would be on my list okay uh, so that that's where I stand on that particular subject I it I mean I, I can't put him I can't put him out of the top 10 he's a really good goaltender look at the defense Interesting premise, to say the very least. Darnell Nurse will be by at the top of the second hour, and he's at the BioSteel. This is the the great thing about the uh, the NHL players. I mean, they're skating already. It's unorganized. The BioSteel thing's going on. Most of these guys have been skating for several weeks, and there's that ramp-up. I mean, a week today is Labor Day, and after that crosses, we're basically in the hockey season. I mean, the camps don't open right away, but uh, they're not far off, and I have my Maple Leaf schedule in terms of our broadcast for the next year, and I'm looking at it and getting, uh, you know, there's a lot of anticipation there, but you still have a lot of questions about the defense, but wanting to sit there and, and let it sort of percolate, if you will, let it sort of uh, move along, and uh, we'll see what happens that way. Uh, have no questions up front. Don't worry about the goaltending. You know, some people like to be concerned about the backup. That'll solve itself. Not an issue for me. The blue line is that uh, it's got strength in numbers, no top end, but as we've seen, you don't necessarily have to have a top end, and based on the fact that we saw Washington and Vegas in the Stanley Cup final last year. I mean, Washington, you went into last season going, oh, yeah, sure, every year they're there and then they fade out. So it's not going to happen this year, but it did. And Vegas, expansion team, like the roster, yeah, we'll see. First month, oh, let's see what happens around Christmas time. Oh, this story isn't going away. And it never really did until the Stanley Cup final. So, you know, I think it forces you to do a reset. Still very fascinated about Tampa because uh, the Lightning may fit into that Washington category of having great teams year after year, and I know they went up and down a bit, but you don't want to cross them off your list just because it can be done eventually. And isn't it interesting that after all this, we could be sitting here after San Jose had so many great seasons and, and maybe the windows closed on them. These are things that are sort of floating around in the air as uh, you know we get to this point of the summer where it's just about over and on the hockey season. Joe, how excited are you about the opening of training camp? I mean, this changes your job, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Maple Leafs opening training camp is by far going to be the biggest story coming into this season because unlike what we've been dealing with for the last two, three years, this isn't a story about a rebirth of a franchise. This isn't a story about the you know, first overall pick coming in and playing, will he be good? This is about, can the Maple Leafs win a championship now with the roster they've built? Is John Tavares going to be the piece that's going to help push their offense over the edge? Is their team good enough? Is Babcock... There's so many storylines about how this team has the opportunity to do something successful, and we haven't, I think, have had this type of conversation around a Leafs team since like the mid early 2000s with Matt Sundin's group and probably like you would remember in 94 after the Leafs went to the conference finals I mean the conversation around that team which again went to the conference finals was probably very similar to this one they kind of had every piece to do something special
1: yeah they did the, uh, the second time they got in the conference finals you're talking about the uh, elimination of Vancouver they were just uh, th- there was nothing left uh, the year before there was a lot more um, I-, I guess maybe the obligatory maybe a poll question for you later in the week is what do you expect from this team like what is an acceptable uh, level of accomplishment because I think we would do that with the Raptors too right so after 59 wins and an early exit in the playoffs obviously the 59 wins are irrelevant so out of the Leafs what do you want Round two, three,
2: yeah, the Maple or Leafs. Four, I would say the Maple Leafs at, at this stage need to win for sure. Win a round, and anything more than that for me is still gravy. Because although they've added John Tavares, and I understand that, rel- the team behind him relatively still young, and winning a playoff round is going to be huge for them. Because you want they want to make sure that they can believe in themselves and that they can win. Because the worst thing that could happen to a franchise that believes that they have an opportunity to do something successful is to when the going gets tough to lack success, and the first year they got into the playoffs, they played very well, but weren't able to beat Washington. They were lucky to be in seven games with Boston last season they didn 't play very well, so I would say a win a series win this year would be more than would be enough for me, uh, but I would say Leaf Nation probably has a lot bigger expectations on this team than I do
1: yeah, well said i mean and maybe you know maybe if you settle for. A second-round elimination, maybe it's not the second-round elimination you'd settle for. You have to know how they go out because that does leave a mark. And and I think we understand why they went out last year and and what the problem was. And and you're looking, you know, obviously they solved it up front, I think, although still might be a little concerned about the the girth on the right side. I don't think they've solved the defense problem, but willing to stand back and let it sort of develop on its own. We'll see. Sent you an email. You should check that out. I did see okay. that email. Okay, thank you. Just uh, you know, just a sort of a, a thing between me and Joe on the air because we're having some technical issues. But nonetheless, uh, we move on. Scott Mitchell will be by in the next segment talking about the Blue Jays, and he's got an interesting piece um, in or on the website TSN.ca about sort of uh, wrapping things up and uh, and going over you know where the Jays are. And there's there's something there on Donaldson that that we're going to get clarification on, um, and uh, we'll we'll get to that very shortly. Uh, let's. In fact, let's step out now so we can get Scott Mitchell on. That makes total sense to me. Yes, you're listening to Toronto today. TSN 1050. TSN 1050ca Jay's trying to get something together, and I just wonder, like, how far do you want to go with the cleanout? How many people will be moved out uh, for the Jays as as they uh, go into the off season? And then there's all that speculation about what they're going to do. And the last time I was here, I was talking about, uh, you know, are you willing to go through the growing pains? the lengthy growing pains of a rebuild in baseball that is just a long time and while Vladdy Guerrero Jr looks good and there are people on the way up i mean come on you need you need the pitching staff and and clearly uh, the two young guys they were hoping on uh, you know to lead the way have had injury problems and so with pitchers you need four or five to get one uh, it it's a it's a long build we've been there before not exactly pleasant to watch, but nonetheless, that's where we are. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Coming up later in the broadcast, by the way, Perry Lefkoe had technical problems with his phone. It uh, it cacked. So he'll be with us at 1140. I love that. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk about uh, the CFL and some golf. He's got some insight uh, into golf as well. Brooke Henderson, of course, making us all happy. Our number two, Darnell Nurse from the Edmonton Oilers, from the BioSteel Camp. Mark Zucchino, Golf Talk Canada. And uh, by the way, Adam Hadwin had a pretty good weekend as well, so a lot of Canadian stuff in golf. Let's talk about the Blue Jays now with Scott Mitchell, our Blue Jay reporter. Scott, welcome. How are you today, sir?
0: Doing well. How are you doing?
1: Uh, pretty good, thanks. Uh, tell us about the, uh, I guess, the, the headline, the Josh Donaldson locker clearout. What's the story behind that?
0: <laughs> well, I, I mean, some at some point over over the 24 hours between Friday's game and, and Saturday's game, um, you know, his his locker was cleaned out and... You know, when I say cleaned out, I don't mean, um, you know, just kind of, uh, tidied up or anything like that. There, there was nothing there and, you know, any sort of personal items, any sort of, uh, you know, undershirts, you know, Jay stuff, and it was just gone. So, um, I obviously sent the tweet out just, uh, recognizing that fact as a, as a hashtag journalism observation. And, uh, yeah, and then the next day, uh, Josh, Decided to, to send a, a note to PR to clear up the situation that he just needed his stuff. So, um, you know, a little bit of an interesting situation. I mean, I don't know why he's he's needed his uh, his stuff when he hasn't been around for, for two months. Um, so, I mean, you can read into it in a couple ways. I mean, first, he, he can't be traded till he goes on waivers. Um, so that process hasn't kickstarted yet. It's, uh, supposedly gonna kickstart tonight, um, in Dunedin. But, uh, you know, to me, it just said the fact that, you know, even when he does, um, you know, appear in a rehab game, kickstart this waiver process heading into Friday's waiver trade deadline, that there's a pretty good chance that he never comes back to Toronto, that, that he, uh, you know, essentially play, plays in a, a rehab game or two, and the Blue Jays say, uh, you know he's on waivers now we're, we're going to try to kickstart this process and 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 find a a trade partner before Friday so a uh, little bit of an interesting situation but you know not uh, not overly surprising considering where things have gone and You know, time's ticking for the Blue Jays to to really, uh, you know, get anything uh, before this deadline. And then they run the risk of going into September, October, November with him still on the roster. And then you get into a uh, tricky qualifying offer uh, projection in early November, which is uh, something that it seems like the Blue Jays would like to avoid at this point.
1: I mean, really, when you look at it, the team's on the road all week. Uh You know, you're going into the, the waiver trade deadline. Uh, if it was going to happen, it would happen now. And, and quite frankly, I don't think anybody would have a problem with it happening now, would they?
0: Well, no, I mean, you know, most people thought that this would, uh, you know, be long solved. Um, you know, I think everyone projecting things coming into the season thought Josh Donaldson would have a, you know, fairly healthy first three or four months. Uh, he would go into the July 31st non-waiver trade deadline as one of the, uh, you know, best trade chips on the market. The Blue Jays would able to, uh, would be able to, to recoup, uh, you know, a little bit of prospect capital for, for a guy who was a very, um, you know, important um, and And superstar player for this franchise and now we're we 're sitting here um, on august twenty seventh and and the blue jays are really just hoping to to get a uh fringe prospect in in return for this guy so yeah, I think blue jay's fans and, and his fan base has has seen the writing on the wall for some time, and you know they 're frustrated by the fact that he 's only played thirty six games this season hasn 't really been much of a presence in the clubhouse on the field in the community i mean he hasn 't been here for half the year, so you know, I, I think there's a whole lot of frustration. And, and yeah, I think people, uh, you know, just hope that, uh, you know, they can move on from this, get something. And, you know, everyone's excited to, to see, uh, you know, a different third baseman next year, one that, uh, you know, is, is going to be 20 years old. And, uh, you know, I think people are excited for this uh, this kind of this next era of Blue Jays baseball.
1: I, I'm just wondering, as, as you go through this, does does this scenario sort of typify or sum up or headline the entire season? Major asset – and lucky to get a minimal return doesn't that sort of sum it all up
0: well yeah i mean you can look at so many situations and and just each and every example you have of of what's gone on this season just kind of typifies this this campaign for the blue jays i mean it started on the first day of spring training when you know we walked in and and they kind of announced that troy tuowitski wasn't going to be ready to go and you know here we are and he's missed a season and you know Marcus Stroman has had two separate DL stints Aaron Sanchez missed two months with a finger injury that wasn't a blister Um, Roberto Osuna we all know what happened there I mean it's just been a nightmare from top to bottom and the one thing that's you know keeping people um you know leaning and tilting towards the positive is is the progress in the minor league system but when you when you look at uh you know this season as a whole, from a you know Toronto big league perspective, um, it, it's just been a nightmare. And, and you know this season couldn't have gone worse for um, the Blue Jays or Josh Donaldson in this situation because you know a year ago we were talking about this guy potentially being five years, one hundred and fifty million dollars, and now he's going to head into the winter, um, you know, off his worst season of his career. And probably looking at that qualifying offer and saying, hey, one year, 18, 19 million bucks, that might might not be so bad.
1: Yeah, I just, you know, as you were doing that, I, I was thinking back to when I would have talked to you during spring training and how they sort of soft sold the dead arm. And from there, it just went south, didn't it?
0: Well, yeah, it's just been a mysterious, um, you know, kind of year and a half when it comes to injuries with, with this team. And, you know, there's a, there's a clear mandate behind the scenes that these guys are protecting their players and they don't want to release injury information. I mean, just even on that end, I had a conversation yesterday with Ross Atkins. And, you know, I, I mean, when you look at Troy um injury, dual surgery on, on both heels, um, you know, that was an easy six to eight month timeline when you look at what uh, Jonas Cespedes had in in New York and and some of the other, um, you know, anecdotal evidence from around the Internet. And, you know, there was no timeline on that. They they wanted to leave, um, you know, that up to Troy to to uh, kind of disseminate if that's what he wanted to do. So um, when you look at all these situations around this club, um, there's a lot of I don't know if misinformation is the right word, but there's a lot of um you know withholding of information and i think it frustrates uh, the fan base particularly because they don't know when these guys are going to get back on the field how close they are and it's always a, a kind of a day to day thing so yeah i mean you know the dead arm with with josh was was really mysterious in april and um you know when when your manager says uh you know it, it's it's not injured it's just dead um you know that that could be your your season slogan right there
1: <laughs> in, in an odd sort of way. Um, when we're talking after the deadline clears on Friday, who do you think has moved out?
0: Well, that's an interesting question because I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think we could we could go through this week without seeing a, a trade at all, or we could see potentially two or three. I mean, obviously, Donaldson is, is on the tip of everyone's tongue right now, and that's the one people are paying attention to, including executives of, of contending teams around baseball trying to figure out if this guy can be a difference maker and then you know once you get past uh uh, jd it's it's curtis granderson who who many thought would go at the july 31st deadline um this is a guy who john gibbons has already had a conversation with about his playing time being cut uh down the stretch as they want to get uh you know and rightfully so a look at some of these younger outfielders so um, you know he's hit right-handed pitching pretty well. Yeah, he's 37, and you know it's not going to cost a lot to get him. It wouldn't surprise me to to see him on the move um, to a contender. Um, and then after that, I mean, Tyler Clippord maybe, um, but you know, highly highly doubtful. You'd probably have to have an injury or, or something like that over the next couple of days. So um, yeah, that's about it. it it's pretty much uh, Donaldson, Granderson, and. You know, when you look at a potential return, you have to look at the, uh, the trade of, of Daniel Murphy from the Nationals to the Cubs. And the Cubs didn't even have to give up a guy who is, uh, you know, by all accounts in their top 30 prospects. So even when you t- look at a Josh Donaldson trade, when you look at the uh, potential return, it's going to be very minimal and not going to move the needle for many
1: people. Uh, because of, the, the, I guess, the stutter in development for various reasons between Stroman and Sanchez, do you think they re-examine their attitude t- uh, toward them in terms of long-term uh, assets?
0: Uh, well, I, I mean, I think their their attitude towards them as long term, you know, investments has been, uh, you know, is is kind of um, you know reevaluated on a, on a daily and, and weekly basis. And when you look at these guys, I think uh, you know a year ago you would have said they're uh, you know without a doubt a, a big part of the future. But um, now it's a tricky situation because you've got both guys dealing with some injury issues, and when they are healthy, uh, they haven't pitched very well. And you're looking at uh, team control now. They're, you know, under contract for 2019 and 2020. And you have to start lining things up and lining up the window and, and deciding, um, you know, whether these guys are, are part of the solution or part of the... Uh, you know, the solution to help you find, um, you know, better pieces that, that uh, better align with, with what you want to do in, in 2021 and, and 2022. So, um, you know, that one's going to be a, a hot topic this winter. I mean, uh, in my personal opinion, I think Marcus Stroman is going to be out there on the market. Um, you know, the Blue Jays will at least listen. I, I think Sanchez is more the guy that they would love to, uh, you know, get a full healthy season from before they really do anything rash or make any sort of decision. Um, so it, it's really going to be interesting to see how they, they look at these assets and how they look at the situations that have gone on with Donaldson and maybe, um, you know, missing windows when it comes to trading some of these assets um, and, you know, the lessons they've learned from that. So, um, you know, it, it, it's going to be super uh, super interesting to, to monitor those two guys because, um, you know, you, you can't find pitching, but, uh, you know, you can also turn pitching into a, a very significant haul if uh, you find the right trade match.
1: You know, it's interesting to look at all this, and I don't know if evolving is the right word, but, I mean, this the situation, uh, if we would have talked in, in June as we did about what, what they would do next, is this totally changed, really, hasn't it?
0: Well, I think a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, this was always a a year that was really going to be about uh, setting a direction, and and you know, things were going to have to go a certain way in the first three months of the season for that to happen, and and you know, the it was pretty clear probably in mid mid to late May that uh, you know that just wasn't going to happen, and you know, you had to pivot, and you know, this is the pivot a lot of people have been waiting for, and probably would say has been overdue for the last year and a half, so. Um, yeah, things have uh, things have changed very quickly because in spring training, I mean, it was a team that uh, you know was intending to to contend and and hopefully sneak into a wild card spot, and then you know by June, we were talking about a, a full scale rebuild, and, and now you're looking at uh, you know some of the guys that uh, you know you potentially looked at as, as cornerstones of either trades to rebuild or you know moving into the future. Uh, Roberto Osuna they've had to you know take 50 cents on the dollar on most of these guys so you know it's just it's just been a sideways season from just about every uh you know imaginable angle at this point
1: kind of a a silly question but that's me Uh, Morales you know one homer away from tying a major league record for consecutive homers do you think anybody would sniff around him
0: uh, you know, highly doubtful, and, and there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, one, he's strictly a DH. I mean, you can throw him out there at first base once in a while, but um, this is a guy who is essentially a bat off the bench. So really, um, you know, it's tough because that limits you to, um, you know, 14 American League clubs, and really, uh, you know, most of these teams have internal options. That they like just as much, much. And then what, you know, compounding that problem is the fact that he signed for, for 12 million bucks for next season. And no one's going to take that on. And if the Blue Jays wanted to, to pay it, maybe you can find uh, a match. But like I said, the first problem is is probably the big one because every guy, every team in this, uh, in the American League, has a uh, has a bat that they, they feel they can uh, use as a DH and most teams use it a little differently than the Blue Jays um, you know kind of uh, moving pieces in and out giving guys a half day of rest so not a lot of teams look out there looking for a strict DH especially one that's uh, you know paid 12 million bucks next season
1: Scott thanks for your time really appreciate it All
0: no problem. anytime
1: Thank you that's Scott Mitchell TSN 1050 Blue Jay Reporter, Twitter account at Scotty Mitch TSN. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Perry Lefko from CFLPA.com, and we'll go over that Freddie Anderson goaltending list. Uh, NHL Network has him as number nine on the top ten goalie list, but the list does not include Carey Price for reasons unknown. You're listening to Toronto Today. Jim Taddy with you, TSN 1050, TSN 1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Perry Lefko eventually found his charger from CFLPA.com. Perry, how are you?
3: Uh, Good now that my phone kind of works.
1: Oh, does that mean you could drop out at any moment?
3: No, man. Use the house phone for people who still have house phones, okay?
1: Really? A landline?
3: A landline. I know it's old school, kind of like a typewriter, but I still have one.
1: What, a typewriter or a landline? Both. Oh, that's sad. How are the rabbit ears doing? Everything okay with the TV reception?
3: Okay, man, let's get to it. Come on, let's go. Don't
1: waste my time. Oh, wasting your time. Oh, wow. Uh, Let's talk about the CFL weekend and the CFL fantasy draft. How did you do, sir? Splendid. Really? How many points? About 104 or something like that. Oh, not quite 118. You had 118? Yes.
3: I want verification.
1: Uh, Let me just check. How can I do that?
3: Uh, Sometime later on. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost every player... I'm about 130th on the list, though.
1: So. Oh, well, in my draft, I'm uh, 78th. <laughs> you and I must be in totally
3: different drafts. i got to get in your draft, okay?
1: Yeah, yeah, you might be, like, in the top 100 there.
3: Oh, my so, God. So
1: if you plug your typewriter in, will it receive a fax?
3: This is old school, man. Yeah, I know.
1: Nobody knows. Send me a telex. Uh, Whatever. Um, So, I mean, when you go back over the weekend, I mean, first of all, John Lewis reporting that Johnny Menzel is, is back at practice today, and I would suggest that he probably watched Mr. Pipkin spin his magic. This guy's an exciting quarterback, Pipkin, for the Alouettes.
3: You know, he's had two games. In the first game, he had a lot of catches that weren't caught, and that was unfortunate. In the second game... He's very good at uh, improvising, and uh, he had some. He can throw the ball long, and as long as his players can catch it, then I think you know he has a shot. Whether they're going to play him uh, as a starter right now, or they're going to put Johnny Manziel back in there, I think there's room for both of them if they want to, you know, alternate quarterbacks and do something that you and I would remember back in the '70s with uh, probably Joe Barnes. Yeah, remember that?
1: Yeah. That's back there.
3: That's way back there.
1: That's that's when June Jones was a player.
3: That's right. Wow. But if you look at Winnipeg's doing, they're kind of doing some interesting packages with two quarterbacks, so I think there's room for both.
1: Well, it is interesting. Now that you brought that up, I mean, there was a the period of time where you had to have a tandem. And then there was a period of time where that went out, and maybe they're going back to it. I mean, obviously that's not going to be the case in Calgary or in Edmonton, but in other cities, uh, maybe that's what that's what makes it work.
3: I think the ability to have a quarterback that, that, that can move, you know, the pocket with his legs as opposed to just get first down strictly with his arm. In Winnipeg with Chris Strebler, they have that. They had an interesting play, a third and one, and he ended up throwing a touchdown strike for about 50-some-odd yards. So, when you have a mobile quarterback, there's a lot of things you can do.
1: Well, one thing I will say about Strevler and Pipkin, these are big fellows. Uh, they are versatile. They are um, athletically sound. They, they can they can run with the ball. They, they they sort of add an element that we're not really accustomed to seeing out of a big man at quarterback.
3: Well, the thing about and you have a big a big man quarterback in Toronto as well, and I think yeah. um, he's done some situations where. You know, if you could do the zone read and figure out what works uh, what works best for him and what works best for the team, I think there's a possibility for you know, for, for a lot of work for McLeod Bethel Thompson. But when you have a quarterback who essentially can move, you know, he's not just standing there in the pocket, there's a lot of stuff you can do.
1: They're exciting to watch, and again, you know, Streveler looked good uh, the first game he played, and then it sort of, you know, diminished a bit. I, I don't know where the, the Pipkin learning track is, but maybe in tandem with Manziel, uh, it could resuscitate things. I mean, that that football team is a bit of a mess. Uh, as you were texting me during the course of the game, some curious decisions. The Owls almost won in spite of themselves.
3: Yeah, I mean, I thought there was like a situation, there was a third and one, and... and... You know, Mike Sherman decided to punt the ball. Um, just things that kind of reminded me more of the NFL than the CFL. But um, I think they're they're just scratching and clawing to try and get wins right now in Montreal. And the funny thing is, is, is kind of down as the season has been. They're only two points back at Toronto. The CFL is a crazy game in which any team at any point, as bad as they're going, can somehow still manage to find themselves, you know, in the playoff chase.
1: Well, and that's the East, right? And so Hamilton wins almost in spite of themselves. Montreal, the same story. The Argos lose, and Ottawa had the week off, setting up a twin spin between Hamilton and Toronto that uh, will decide, well, it could, either one of their seasons.
3: Are you going to say that it's going to be a must-win for either team?
1: Uh, The series, the three-game series is a must-win. The 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 final game is in the middle of October. The the winner of the three-game series goes on to bigger and better things, and the loser, well, we wish you well.
3: Yeah, but I'm... For, for purposes of Monday's Labor Day game, I think this is going to be one of the more exciting tilts in some time because both teams are fairly close in standings, and, and there's a lot to like about both teams, and we're going to add Deron Carter to the situation for Toronto, and I right. think uh, it's it's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to like for both, but there's also a lot to be concerned about for both also, isn't there?
3: Well, you know, like, they're, they're somewhat inconsistent, although, like you said, Hamilton won in spite of itself in Toronto, Lost. I mean, it was a uh, uh, last play of the game, in which a field goal hits the uprights is still good with Hamilton. It's the last play field goal work. So yeah. every play in the CFL counts. It's never over. I told you that before. That's what I like about the CFL. There's no 30 seconds left on the clock, and the players are walking off the field.
1: Let's talk about Brooke Henderson. What a what a stunning and uh, I guess therapeutic win for everybody. That's just great to see, isn't it?
3: I think it's great. I mean, you know. The young girl she 's twenty years old you know she lost both of her grandparents this year forced her to leave the u s open because she was just it 's emotional for any person, but for a twenty year old in, in a in a major, it was just something she couldn 't process she needed to to get away so this girl i mean she didn 't win this tournament yesterday she walked i mean she blew that field away she was solid right from the start i mean it was like watching uh you know for lack of a better expression let 's say modern day terms it was like watching watching Brooks Koepka and just, you know, distance himself from the field.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was uh, walking, going away. I, I was interested. I, I, I was out uh, watching the Buffalo Bisons play, so I didn't see it live. But I, when I watched the highlights, he seemed really dialed in on every shot. Uh, and golfers have this uh, this thing where when they have a nice shot, they sort of look up and down at the ball as it's in flight. She didn't have that look. She was like so dialed in that it's almost like she didn't enjoy the shot. She was just absolutely involved in the moment, and it was just great to see.
3: That was great focus. I saw one one example where she hit the ball, and she just started walking away. She knew the shot was perfect, right? She's yeah. strong off the tee, which is really good. The weather conditions were, were rainy. It was kind of cold. Um, and she had a lot of people watching her. I mean, yeah. if you saw the gallery. It was deep, and there was a lot of pressure she handled it well. It was one of those feel-good stories of the year, you know, for for Canadian fans and you know, in the American broadcast they're playing up the whole Canadian angle. So it was great to watch this this young woman, this she's a phenomenal young golfer. She's got to be in the top 5 in, in women's golf right now. And uh former hockey player, she transitioned to uh to golf and uh it's a great story.
1: Like watching the swing, it's it's aggressive. It's Canadian, isn't it?
3: Um it's just straight and true. I mean, she didn't she didn't get herself in trouble. She was strong, like I said, strong off the tee. She made it easy for herself by by playing, you know, playing shots that worked by being strong, strong, aggressive, and yeah, it was a good old time uh, golf from a Canadian perspective.
1: And the putts when she putted uh, with authority. I mean, there was nothing there that was negotiable. It was right in the heart. She didn't
3: leave many uh, room for a lot, a lot of room for error and give her opponents much chance. It was just strong powerful every part of her game was working and again from a, this is one of those moments where you a seminal moment in golf in canada and canadian men's golf is starting to pick up you've got one of the best players in the world in women's golf right now right here in canada and, and she's she speaks very well for, her, uh, for herself she acts very well just just a great representative of of golf and certainly of a canadian athlete
1: well said what else
3: That's that's about it, man. I'm happy to be on your show this week. Uh, You know, it's a good good tune-up for the start of the hockey season again. It's going to be fun. There's excitement about the Leafs. You know, it's it's fun to be a a Canadian sports fan right now. There's a lot of things going on.
1: It's always great to be around developing stories. I mean, obviously... Uh, you know that we we've covered our, our share of teams that aren't succeeding, and, and that's, I mean, it's part of the job. You do it uh, because it's just part of the routine. Uh, you you don't enjoy covering negative stories, but you give them the same respect. But at the same time, it's always a lot more fun to be about uh, to be around a developing story, which certainly is Brooke Henderson. It certainly is the Toronto Maple Leafs.
3: Yeah, and then this, you know, to, to put something in a totally different spin with Robert Wickens, you know, the Guelph driver in right. IndyCar was, was involved in a horrific accident, and, you know, I, he's starting, I, I, from what I understand, to, the process to, to begin, you know, to healing. I think it's going to be a while, but this was an exciting young, you know, first-year driver on the IndyCar circuit. He'd done everything but, but win, and he had that, like I said, that horrific crash in Pocono, but, uh, you know... All our thoughts and prayers are, are with him. Again, an, another example of a young Canadian athlete that's, that's making a name for himself.
1: Perry, thanks very much. I uh, hope the uh, the Chargers okay.
3: So do I, man. Be well.
1: Okay, that's Perry Leftco from CFLPA.com. Also does some golf blogging as well. And and I would suggest man about town has been around Toronto sports with the Sun for many many decades. So uh, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, before we hit the top of the hour, I think Joe should come in and and rhyme off the uh, the entrance on the uh, NHL Network top ten goalie list. So so we have some reference points as to where we're going here, Joseph.
2: Sure. So what we asked was. After the NHL Network released their um, top 10 goalies of right now, um, where Freddie Anderson would fit in. And for the list, I mean, it made more sense when they explained the top 10 right now, but still, it's a pretty interesting list. So starting at 10, you have John Gibson. number nine is Freddie Anderson. Number eight is Tuka Rask. Number seven, Pecorine. Number six, Marc-Andre Fleury. Fifth, Jonathan Quick. Fourth, Connor Hellebuck. Third, Andrey Vasilevsky. Second is Brayne Holtby, and number one is Sergey Babrovsky.
1: Babrovsky. I can hear Jay from here.
2: Oh yeah, I know. Every time somebody says Babrovsky, I feel like I Jay's see, like I, neck twitches. I see, I
1: see Jay's face yes. leering into the camera. Babrovsky. <laughs> kind of a visual, isn't it? Thank you, Jay. Uh, so, and carry Price, did they say why Carey Price is not on the list? Is it because of the injury problems?
2: No, I think that carry Price isn't on the list because of their... Uh, sp- they, spec- they specify that it's about the right now list. So I think oh, it's the so goaltenders, today. yeah, the, at right now, where you would see them in the top 10. But I would still beg to argue that I don't think Pecorine right now is better than Rask, Anderson, or Gibson because he tends to break down when the going gets tough.
1: Well, you could say that about Freddie. Well, I mean... I mean, if you're doing how it, if bad? you're doing it on playoffs,
2: yeah. But I mean, in in retrospect, how much worse was Freddie Anderson in the playoffs than he was in the regular season?
1: Well, I think there's a drop off there, but but I, you know, uh, anytime I do an analysis on a playoff elimination, I don't just put one player in there. I, I would for the Leafs elimination, I go right down the right side, top to bottom, forwards and defense, and the way they were exploited that way and down the middle on the face offs. Uh, uh, so I mean I, I don't know that you could put the goaltender as the sole reason for that. I wouldn't do that.
2: Well, I would say that to your point that Frederick Anderson was the was a main reason why the Leafs won as many games as they sure. have in the last two years in the playoffs. But I would probably say there's maybe one or two games you can look back on and say, "Wow, Freddie, we really expected more." Well, I, I think Rene it's... has not showed up a lot of times for the Nashville Predators, like in their their Stanley Cup Finals. He, he couldn't stop anything against Pittsburgh when he was away. Yeah, but
1: see, what you're doing with him is you're ignoring his regular season stats and going to his, his elimination, which is which is what you do when teams make the playoffs on a regular basis. You don't care about the regular season because it's always there, right? Uh, so I would suggest to you that I think the concern for Freddie might be that he showed fatigue and, and we want to see if, if that happens again uh, and if that's a, that's a reason to hold him back because if he would have made the, the playoffs in consecutive years... Uh, I guess three years in a row, then you'd be then you'd have a sample size. So uh then you could then maybe you could you could do that, but I just I can't I can't be negative about him at this point. I mean, if he's playing too much in the regular season, that's not his fault.
2: Yeah, and as well, the only criticism I've had for Frederick Anderson up in up until, you know, this season is always his bad starts. His October is usually pretty bad and that nah. usually inflates his numbers. But again, I mean if you're gonna be bad at any point in the year if you choose the first three weeks of the season to do so, that's not the worst time for that to happen to somebody. We've seen a lot of players that go through that. Yeah, I wouldn't be concerned about the start. It's always the finish. So at, at the end of the day, uh, was
1: he tired and was that a factor? I, I think maybe the jury's still out on that, but if it happened again, that would be a factor.
2: So you said you would have uh, Freddie more so in like the number six slot before when we were talking about it. If you were to put Carey Price in this list, but let's say he's healthy, which we at this point he is... Is to me Price the best goalie in hockey? Well, he has he, uh, ability-wise, yes. And we'll we'll leave it at that.
1: We'll continue the conversation. Darnell Nurse is next from the Edmonton Oilers. This is Toronto today.